I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. Today I'm going to begin a discussion about a topic that is prevalent throughout the Bible, but you don't hear very much mentioned about it. The fact is that I don't know if I've ever heard it mentioned or preached for that matter. Yet it is a topic that I believe is very important in understanding the Bible. To be honest, I believe this topic is paramount to Bible study. So what might this topic be? I'm talking about time. I'm talking about God's time. I'm talking about how God created time and measures time and how we have lost our way in disregarding God's time. Have you ever known anyone who has been down on their luck, experiencing difficulty and heartache? Have you or someone you know ever said, don't worry, it'll all work out in God's time? I have. I've heard it said, and I'm guilty of having said it many times. But I don't say that anymore, and I cringe every time I hear the phrase mentioned, it'll work out in God's time. Why? Because I've come to realize that it is as about as ambiguous a statement as can be conveyed. What does that even mean in God's time? Does it mean if or when God decides to act within a current situation? Maybe. Maybe not. The truth is that the statement, it'll work out in God's time, is far too open-ended. It leaves the meaning of God's time open to the receiving person's perception of what God's time is. The statement left on these terms is far too subjective. Subjective thinking in regard to God or how God acts is a dangerous path leading to chaos and confusion. God is not a God of chaos or confusion. The statement, it'll work out in God's time, without any understanding of how God's time works, is at best courting with uncertainty. And that simply will not do. In God's word, we are given certainty in how God's time works and how God works in his time. There's nothing uncertain about it. I've heard it said that Christians are in one of three stages of life at any given moment. One, you're going into a storm. Two, you're in the storm. Or three, you're coming out of the storm into a period of rest. Now there may be some modicum of truth in that. However, this old cliche does not mention the fact that God is greater than the storm nor does it concede that the storm has no authority over the believer. Let's be honest. Storms are going to come. But it is not merely how we react to the storm, but when we react to the storm that is part of the outcome. And I know that sounds foreign to many of you. 
but I'll do my best to explain it and break it down for you. But as I do so, I have to start with the barest essence of time and how God created time. So it's time to begin. But before we begin, I'm going to say that I'm not going to address time from within the realm of physics. I'll not be discussing the time-space continuum or how matter reacts within the time-space continuum. I'll be addressing time from a biblical perspective. And just so we're all on the same page, I'll define time as the measurement of events and intervals between events that repeat in a cyclical fashion. Now I'm going to make some statements, and I want you to think about these statements for a few moments before I delve into the scriptures and reveal how I've come to these conclusions. One, before something can begin, something has to come to an end. A beginning cannot be initiated without an ending of some kind preceding it. 2. Time was birthed out of an ending that had no beginning and will expire with a beginning that has no end. 3. God's time is measured in endings and beginnings, not beginnings and endings. Sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But please pay very close attention, and I'll go into Scripture to support those statements. Let's begin at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now let's stop and camp out right there for a few minutes. First, in the beginning, God gives us a truckload of information. It tells us that in the beginning, God created. Well, what about before but the beginning? There were no heavens or earth. There was only God. God exists in an eternal state of being. God existed before the beginning. He exists now, and he will exist after time as we perceive time ends. Before the beginning, God existed in the eternal state with no time, no space, and no matter. It should be noted that when God did create the heavens and the earth, that there was only darkness, and the Spirit of God was over the darkness. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. One day. Now what just happened? Well, quite a lot actually. First of all, is that the eternal state in which no time existed came to an end, and the eternal state in which time does exist began. There was an ending and a beginning. Remember when I said that time was birthed out of an ending that had no beginning? This is what I was talking about. There is no beginning to the eternal state in which God exists. The eternal state where there was no time or no beginning ended when time as we know and perceive time began. However, the eternal state continues intact, unaffected by time. Secondly, we are given the first glimpse of God's redemptive plan 
in that at first there was only darkness, then came light. We constantly move from darkness into the light. When we are born, we are born from darkness and come into the light. By man's nature, we move from life into old age and into darkness of death. However, as believers in Jesus Christ, we grow in the light and move through death into a greater light. Darkness precedes the light, and light obliterates the darkness. Thirdly, the time when the length of the day had not been established ended, and the time when the length of a day was established began. There was an ending and a beginning. Biblically speaking, the day begins at sunset and concludes at the next sunset. In mainstream culture, the new day begins at midnight. But God started the day at sunset because the nature of things of this world is darkness just as the heavens and the earth were dark before God spoke light into being. No matter how dark is the night, the dawn is but hours away. The time when the redemptive process was unknown ended and the dark of light redemptive process began. There was an ending and a beginning. Six more times in Genesis chapter 1 in verses 6 9 11 14 20 and 24 it is written then god said and whatever god said came into being every time god said and created something there was an ending and a beginning a time when something did not exist ended and the time when those things did exist began there were endings and beginnings then we go to verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1. It reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Here God has changed his mode of creation. Until now, he has merely spoken creation into existence. Here God said, Let us make man as in being fashioned by God's own hand. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 reads, Then God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The time when man did not exist ended, and the time when man existed began. There was an ending and beginning. God measures time in endings and beginnings, not beginnings and endings. Now, why am I so big and gung-ho on time being measured in endings and beginnings? Well, it's really quite simple. If we can identify the endings and beginnings in God's Word, and they are prevalent throughout the Bible, we will see cyclical patterns emerging and repeating. That means something. Now, what does it mean? So please, bear with me. I'm really going somewhere with all this. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. What just happened? The time when the length of a week had not been established ended, and the time when the length of a week had been established began. There was an ending and a beginning. 
More importantly, the time when the Sabbath had not been established ended and the time when the Sabbath was established began. There was an ending and a beginning. And I think it is important to note that the Sabbath was established very early on just at the creation of man. If you look at verses 14 and 15 in Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that the heavenly lights that dictate the months, seasons, years were put into place. In this instance, the time that the ruling factors that determined the months, seasons, and years did not exist came to an end. And the time that those ruling factors were in place began. There was an ending and beginning. It is in endings and beginnings that we understand the time God created, and the time is cyclical and operates in repeating cycles. Days, weeks, Sabbaths, months, seasons, years, and ages. Each one of those things begins with the ending of the partition of time preceding it. This is how we identify time, God's time, in the Bible. And you may say, so, I thought you might say that. The truth is that time is very important to God. He created God in a very precise manner. As far as humanity is concerned, God got very serious about time just before he brought the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Now, mind you, that the days, weeks, Sabbaths, months, seasons, and years had already been established. But how God uses time was established in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, In the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of the year for you. What is this leading to? It's leading into the plagues on Egypt. But more importantly, the Passover. And on the tenth day of the, that month, a lamb was selected as a sacrifice. And on the fourteenth day, at sunset, blood was placed on the lintel and doorpost of each dwelling. It was the first Passover feast. Now you may be saying, hold on now, Lonnie. <laughs> the feasts are Jewish holidays. They are over and done away with which I would say, don't you believe it? I would also add, we better hope and pray that it's not so. Why? First, the Passover feast, and in fact, all the feasts were initiated by God before there were Jews, before Israel was brought out of Egypt and made a nation. There were no Jews prior to 975 B.C., when the nation of Israel split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The inhabitants of Judah were the tribes of Judah, Levi, and part of the tribe of Benjamin. They became known as Jews. Until then, there was only the nation of Israel. Without getting into deep discussion of mathematical calculations, let me disclose something to you. Israel coming out from under bondage of Egypt during Passover has greater meaning for us today than it did for Israel then. What do I mean by that? 
Well, give me a few moments and we'll get to that. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, it reads, Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, and I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into a land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now let's look at that for a few moments. God is making some monumental promises here. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's sanctification. He's setting them apart. Number two, I will deliver you from their bondage. That's deliverance. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. That's redemption. And the judgments fell upon Egypt. Four, and I will take you for my people and I will be your God. That's joy. These four promises are the four cups of blessings that the Jews drink to at every Passover. Sanctification, deliverance, redemption, joy. However, if we continue on verse 8, we find another promise that is being missed. It is a promise that God fulfilled to Israel, but in that promise is a promise that we are still yet to receive. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you for possession. Why is all that important? Because when you stop and think about it, isn't that what Jesus did for us when he sacrificed himself during the Passover feast on the cross? He provided for our sanctification, our deliverance, our redemption with his blood, and he is our joy. But if we go even further through Jesus, we have an inheritance in his kingdom to come that is yet to be fulfilled. How beautiful is that? The entire process is replayed, repeating before our eyes. We just have to wait on it. Jesus has delivered us and redeemed us and thereby sanctified us. In him we have an inheritance in a kingdom that is yet to come. Now King David tells us in Psalm 81, verses 3 through 4, Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on your feast day. For it is a statute for Israel. It is an ordinance of the God of Jacob. Now the trumpet, the shofar, is sounded at the new moon or the beginning of each new month in the Bible. The trumpet closes the month ending and ushers in a new beginning of a new month. There are endings and beginnings. Also, the trumpet sounds at the full moon. Who died at the full moon? Jesus did. Each full moon is a reminder that Jesus died on the cross in our rightful place for our benefit. Now notice two words in those two verses. They are statute and ordinance. What is the difference between statute and ordinance? 
Both are ancient legal terms. A statute is a law. It says that the sounding of the trumpet is a statute for Israel. But it goes on to say that it is an ordinance of God of Jacob. An ordinance is a final judgment. It cannot be amended, repealed, or altered. An ordinance is forever. Like communion, the Lord's Supper, is an ordinance. Marriage between one man and one woman is an ordinance. The time in the Bible and how it's used is an ordinance. It cannot change. Something else you might want to think about while we're considering God's time is that in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac when God provided a ram, a male sheep, to substitute in the place of Abraham's son, Isaac. Consider also that it was a lamb that provided the sacrificial blood that protected the sons of Israel during the Passover. I find it particularly interesting that sheep were sacrificed for the son of Abraham and for the sons of Israel. I find it particularly interesting that the Son of God would later be sacrificed for the sheep. You guessed it, on Passover. And while we're thinking about time, God's time, consider this. That day when Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac, that day when Israel was brought out of Egypt, that day when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was sacrificed on the cross, all those things occurred on the same date, the 14th day of the first month of that calendar that God established in Exodus 12. Only God can orchestrate such things. That's how God's time works and how God works in his time. If you go to the Passover and count backwards the days of the plagues that God struck Egypt with, you will arrive at the date of 14th day of Adar, which is the 12th month. That day would later become known as Purim, when Queen Esther saved the Jews while in exile. The only thing is, is that would not take place for another 650 years. It's how God's time works. God was preparing Israel to come out of Egypt. 650 years later, it would be a day of freedom and rejoicing for the Jews, for Purim, when Queen Esther saved the Jewish race. See, Passover is a time of remembrance. The Jews remember the exodus out of Egypt. For Christians, it is a reminder of our Lord and Savior's death that accomplished the same things God accomplished for Israel in the original Passover. It is also a reminder that we have not arrived at our inheritance in God's kingdom that is yet to come. It gives us something to look forward to and reminds us of what it is that we have to look forward to. Now, I don't have the time to delve into it this episode, but I'll tell you that the other feasts have some significance to the modern-day Christian as well. Do I advocate that we as Christians observe the feast in strict Jewish fashion? No, I don't. However, I believe it is important that we remember them for what they meant 
and in some instances remember them for what is to come. The feasts were God's appointed times to meet with Israel. The feast had specific meaning for the Jews, and they still do. Likewise, as Christians, the feasts have specific meanings for us as well. There are things on God's timeline that are repeating, and we should be aware of those things. There are covenants, prophecies, and promises that are as yet unfulfilled that are associated with the feasts. The Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles are two feasts that hold particular importance for the end-time believer. As I believe they will bring about an ending that ushers in a new beginning that will never end. The feasts are God's appointed times. They are not merely Jewish holidays. They are holy days that should be remembered for what they were and for what they are. Because the feasts are centered around harvests. And we would do well to know and understand God's harvest times. I am the old watchman Ezekiel, and you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, come and visit me at the oldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.